Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pal, to another episode talking about Sekiro uh, with a returning guest and new friend of the show, Mimi. Hello, how are we? <laughs> I'm doing very well. I'm excited to do this, uh, to branch out and to uh, kind of steal an idea from some other friends of the show. Uh, Sophie and Sin of Sinclair Lore, they've done What, Where, Why of Bloodborne and done Enemies of Bloodborne. Uh, which is these needlessly in-depth looks at, you know, one uh, enemy in particular. I think we're going to go a little more broad than that. But today we're going to talk about some enemies of Sekiro. Uh, it won't be the only time we do it. I think we're going to make this a series, but uh, uh, we'll get started today. Um, how are you feeling, Mimi? I'm doing great. I'm fucking excited. Here we go. <laughs> Dope. Boom. So let's figure out where we're going to start. Let's start. We're going to kind of go by area, but we may also discuss, you know, anything about the enemy we're discussing. We may talk about where else they appear or whatever. But today we're going to talk about, we're going to start with the Ashina outskirts where you, you know, sensibly start your journey in the game after the tutorial, obviously. And we're going to go through as many as we can of the enemies that appear first in the Ashina outskirts. Okay, so first let's talk about the Ashina soldiers. Uh, there's a bunch of these. You can pick them out by their armor, but their other accoutrement, like their hats and their weapons change. Um, and the one that we find most often is the katana-wielding Ashina soldier. Um, now, the last time you were on, you gave me the, the word for a common soldier at the time, and it was something yeah. like Ashina. Uh, light, it's like light infantry that wasn't actually samurai. It's called uh, Ashigaru. Ashigaru. Okay. They were very popular during the Sengoku period um, because obviously not everyone can be a samurai. Mm -hmm. that, that's a whole class. It's warriors serving a shogun or daimyo or a lord. Mm. Um, so it's important to understand that these Ashina soldiers are technically commoners. Mm. They were, they're not all samurai. So there's a similar setup in like, what do you call it? Uh, like uh, contemporary Europe of the time. Like there were knights who were generally a class of soldier, but like the majority of your army was not made up of knights, right? Right. And like my best friend always likes to say like, like knights are like samurai. They're like the fucking cops of the yeah. period. They are the, they are literally the cops of the period. Um, oh. So not everyone can be cops. Um, so you got to kind of understand that most normal people in Japan were tradesmen. I'll break down how the hierarchy worked for you, which is yeah. um, you had the shogun at the very, very top. And this was during the Ashikaga shogunate. And then you technically had the emperor up there, but it was more of like really in power. It was just more of a figurehead thing. Right, right. A ceremonial role almost. Yes. Um, and then you have the daimyo, which are the warlords of the period. Um, and then right under there, you had the samurai. And then you would have the, it, it's kind of up for debate, but a lot of the times you just would have your peasant groups mm. or you can lump them in with uh, artisans. Um, merchants tended to be on the bottom, but in general, you would have the peasant farmers and fishermen above the craftspeople, artisans and merchants. Mm. And then obviously you had like a weird little outcast class, but that's that's definitely a discussion for a different time. Oh, okay. Uh, another another episode, maybe maybe another area of yes, the game. Yes, actually, yes. Perfect. Uh, okay, so these are not the lowest of the low, but these are the lowest class of soldier that we can find. Yes. Um, so one thing I really like about 
I guess from software games in general, but I, I guess the, you know, souls and up in a lot of games, when you find a basic enemy, you know, your lowest, your grunt work people, like they have like one attack or one, you know, they're like hyper simplistic. Yes. But uh, especially here, I think better than any other uh, basic soldier unit in a souls game, like these Ashina soldiers, they feel like a real combatant, like not as skilled as you, but they can do a thrust attack. They can do more than one hit. They can block. They're not amazing at any of them, but they are a trained soldier, uh, which, you know, like a lot of games, you feel like you're invincible at a certain point to the the basic enemies. But Souls games, if you ever let your guard down, you know, they are carrying swords. Anyone can kill you. I think that um, just because there's several different kinds of Ashina soldiers, mm-hmm. they're not all necessarily a master of their craft, but they're all very different. They all feel different. Mm-hmm. There's technically four kinds, which is the katana, um, the haso stance, um, the matchlock rifle, and the spear. Mm. And the way they designed them really felt like these are men who have been at war for a while. They're tired but they're still obviously willing to fight for their country. Mm. So let's say like earlier on into the war, they could have been even scarier because they were mm. less tired um, and they were less worn out. But when we, especially when we visit the Ashina outskirts, it, it's just been blown to bits. Oh it, yeah. Everything is like a, like a smoldering ruin. Bridges are out. Yep. And the, the interesting part about, uh, Sekiro is that you kind of have to you do actually get a map like a very well drawn out map if you actually look for it and they kind of list where certain locations are and they're they're high up in the mountains tired they're, they've definitely just been recovering from a giant battle it's snowing <laughs> yeah it's it's cold you know so it's just um, everyone's kind of run down and raggedy but you know if you're not careful they can still kick your butt Yes, so I would definitely say that the hustle stances tend to have the cape. Oh my god, I can't. It's a, the straw cape. I cannot remember the name for it. Okay. It's not a manto it. like uh, Genichiro it's wears. Similar. It's similar. A... No, I mean manto is just the word for cape. Okay, but it's a specifically a straw like their hats too. Same kind of yeah. Uh, craftsmanship. Well, we call those jin, we call those jingasa. 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 So hustle stances usually have a straw cape. They're mino. They're called mino. They also are wearing uh, hats. They're wearing the nice little hats. The normal katana ones are wearing, sometimes they're wearing a hat, but some, usually they're wearing nothing. Mm-hmm. And the the matchlock people are wearing a hat again. <laughs> they're also wearing a hat. Um, and then funnily enough, the spear, the spearmen are wearing like a little headband. Oh yeah, that always tripped me out because they're wearing a headband and it almost makes it look like they're balding. Um, or they like they have a different forehead than everybody else's. They're bald. They're all oh, bald. Oh, okay. So that, and and that was a popular hairstyle of the time, yes. right? Chon, like- chonmage is what it's called. And it traditionally was meant to kind of keep the head from overheating. Mm. But yeah, they're all bald. <laughs> they all, they all shave their heads and have a top knot. But yeah, they're just all bald. Yeah. It's a very distinctive look. So let's talk about the the weaponry that they're using. So the the regular soldier and the Hasao, they're both using the same style of katana, right? Yes, they're all they're all wear they're all using katana, whereas the matchlock is 
I cannot remember that. Again, I, you're going to hear me say that a lot. You're going to be like, I can't remember the name for this <laughs> one specific thing. But they're just using a very typical matchlock uh, flint style rifle for the time, which obviously, you know, traditionally guns were really hard to reload mm-hmm. um, and didn't have the highest accuracy, but they did pack a lot of firepower. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, the the spear guys, just uh, he has a yachty. He's just got a spear. Yadi just means spear. So it's just a very traditional Yadi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is all kind of basic stuff. None of it's really distinctive to a specific uh, 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 area of the country or anything. Just like this is all stuff you'd find in that era. Yes. No, it's all very, it's all very typical. And even their armor is very typical. You know, they're um, as light infantrymen, they just had um, very simple scale armor. We called the breastplate specifically, we call them dolt. Um, and as we go along with certain enemies, you'll actually see a change in influence on certain um, armor types because, you know, a lot of them mm. are wearing very similar armor, mm-hmm. but there's like subtle differences. Mm. So. Okay. So, yeah. What can you tell me about that? Uh, the scale armor? Like, do you know how it's made or anything? It's made up of multiple layers of, you know, metal. Um, they're also wearing chain mail. They're wearing very simple chain mail. Oh really? I didn't catch that. Yeah, they are. They're wearing. They are wearing chainmail, and um, actually, Wolf is wearing chainmail as well. Um, he's wearing chainmail. Most of them wore a light chainmail. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm thinking of the the big, bulky, much uh, much heavier stuff. No, um, no, it was uh, it was a little lighter. That was really common across the world when you had bows and guns both on the battlefield, right? Because like. Chainmail was a better protection against some types of uh, long range stuff. And then uh, like scale or plate was better protection against uh, others. Right. I think like, yeah, I think like a chain could actually lessen a bullet better than plate could because the bullet would punch through. But uh, the chains, it would almost like Kevlar, it might still punch through, but it would reverberate some of the kinetic force out through the chains. Right. And another thing is that they're wearing it mostly on their left arm. In fact, I think they're all wearing it on their left arm. Oh, Not yeah. All of them, just some, just some of them are. The, the spear guy, I think, is wearing it on both arms, whereas the matchlock and katana and hustle are um, wearing it on just one arm, which is their left arm, because that's kind of, you know, if you're going to get hit um, with a sword, if you're in combat, it might be a little harder. You know, it, it also just takes weight off, because honestly, even though it's lightweight chainmail, it's still chainmail. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of, you know, takes the the weight off. Yeah. So you can keep your sword arm unencumbered so that it swings faster. Um, but if you're going to block something without your sword, you're going to do it on that chainmail side. Right. And yeah, like you said, um, before he gets his arm cut off, Wolf has the same thing. So I wonder if that was meant almost as a like an Ashina signature that everyone wore a chain on their left arm. I mean, you might see if you look in different traditional, I mean, honestly, there's photographs of it where they have both on both arms, but it might just be for like ceremonial purposes Mm -hmm. because obviously armor changed over time. But um, if you look at older, I guess, paintings of uh, the samurai, you might be able to see some of them have one arm and some of them have both arms covered. Interesting. And those are the uh, the Hassau stance, right? Or how do you say that again? Hassau. Hassau. The Hassau stance, which are the, they seem to be the more skilled combatants. Like they're the ones who are there to teach you that some enemies have a, have a good guard. And so yes. you're going to have to do the 
attack, attack, block interplay, or you're going to have to rely on thrust attacks, which they uh, are, it's much more difficult for them to uh, uh, deflect them. Yeah, they're very respectfully tricky. You know what I mean? They weren't yes. like really complicated. They were just kind of like, ooh, it's like a little puzzle enemy. It's like your first puzzle. Yes. So it's not it's not too it's not too obnoxious, but it is kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I have to figure this one out. So yeah, I love that. Um, because it's like they're aesthetically very similar. There's a little bit to tell you, like having the chainmail on both arms on some of them or having the hat. There's something to tell you this might not be the same enemy that you just faced but if you're paying attention you see that their uh their behavior is different right which is just good immersive game design okay so the uh, uh match locks they're using you said was it a flintlock or a matchlock rifle it's a matchlock rifle it's a matchlock rifle okay that's another thing about it I like that a lot of times in games where there's swords and guns, they will like make the guns almost, I don't know, sometimes like in Bloodborne, when I'm playing Bloodborne, I'm like, yeah, the guns don't really mean anything, uh, but they make it a, they have a really good, uh, uh, what do you call it, balance, I think here of making you really not want to get hit by that gun. But also when you see them do their reload animation, it looks pretty good. Like it takes a long time. Here's something interesting about matchlocks, and this is just something I I read about today: is that they're mm. they're obviously slow to reload, as mm-hmm. as guns were during the time. They're difficult to use in in bad weather, um, oh, just yeah. because of um, any sort of like moisture in the powder will not set off the trigger. Like if you pull the trigger, it just will not set off because right. wet powder equals no shot. And then it's actually dangerous to carry because you need to have lit matches and gunpowder yeah <laughs> at all times so. matchlocks are awesome uh and like people would be very uh, the, i think the style of this these matchlocks is similar to but a little different than princess mononoke is the the film i usually think about when i think of matchlock rifles because you can see it burning there and it's just got a very simple uh spring-loaded trigger for it yeah and that takes place during the sengoku period so that's a that's a perfect example of how guns tended to work during the time. Uh, I don't know if it's influenced by the film or they are influenced by the same piece of history. And we'll go into this in you know a later episode. But I think like the Snake Clan is very much like the uh, the Iron Town women who have the um, uh, uh, a lot of guns in Princess Mononoke. They even yes. have the difference between they have matchlock rifles, but then they also have the the more uh, uh, archaic, I think we used to call them like arquebuses. They're like hand cannons. Yes, yes, hand cannons. Or there's no, yeah, there's no trigger mechanism. You they are even, the trigger. They even had flamethrowers that we we see in Sekiro where they, they set Moro on fire um, to essentially get her off of the ledge and to get her to stop attacking their cattle. Um, they have flame, they had flamethrowers at the time. They've, they've had, honestly, um, the East had flamethrowers for a good while. That's so cool. Something interesting about the matchlock rifle guys is you can see that they have a little net um, netting around their breast collar. And um, then you can actually see on the uh, around their waist is a filled bag in the net. And that's just where they kept their gunpowder. And a a really interesting thing to note: the whole net is empty. One of the nets is just empty. It, it's a great indicator of the fact that they've been obviously 
setting off their guns and shooting people, but it might also mean that they might be low right. on supplies because you'd think they'd want to be kept, um, just have enough supplies to not be almost completely empty. Yeah, yeah. Great indicator that they've been fighting off inner ministries forces and and what a great piece of design up and down, right? Ashina as a land is tired. We're like almost putting Ashina down in our uh, quest to end the game. Um, and so the the soldiers of Ashina are also tired, as you said. Mm-hmm. They're very tired. They're resilient, but they're they're really, really tired for sure. What great design. Okay, and then uh, uh, finally, the spear guys, we talked about their uh, hairstyle with the, they actually wear a headband, which makes it look more distinctive than the uh, katana guys without a hat. Anything about their costume or their weapon that's distinctive to you? I mean, obviously, just the fact that they're wearing chainmail on both arms, Mm. um, because when you fight with a spear, it's kind of considered an extension of yourself. And you might have to, um, like, your enemy should be at a distance, but if your enemy gets in close, you don't have a sword to block with, right. so you have to have at least something there. Um, so that's just more of a like a fighting perspective. Okay, yeah, that's smart. So like, they're them having chainmail on both arms is like an active defense thing, pretty much. Wow. Okay. Cool. All right. So, so where uh, we find uh, a lot more enemies in the Ashina outskirts beyond just the regular soldiers, um, and this is the first time that we see the Taro troop. And we see two different variants of them. So what can you tell me about the Taro Troop? So the Taro Troop is definitely like mentioned, like they're all over the place, um, but they are mentioned um, specifically in the description of the Taro Persimmon. Okay. um, Which you actually get from Kotaro. And it basically just says that they're raised on these fruits, which is why they all know the best time to pick them. And also kinds of point kind of points to like they have a terrible diet oh okay and i'll read the description of persimmon a red ripe persimmon ready to eat for a time allows one to recover posture even when attacking or taking damage ashina persimmons are particularly nutritious perhaps because the trees grow in such pure water Mm. persimmons become blood blood becomes rice this may be of help to one short of blood okay and that's alluding to the side quest for the divine child Yes, and I, persimmons in real life have the weirdest texture yeah. on the planet. I'm not saying they suck. They're just very strange. Um, and they also, they're interesting. They grow in the winter. They are wintertime fruit. Wait, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Why they're growing in Ashina. Mm-hmm. They, can, um, they are actually in season, mostly in winter. Um, a lot of times you will see them available in your store during wintertime. Okay. So their name, Taro, is that, what What does that mean? Does it translate to anything? Yeah, it's a root vegetable. Yeah, Taro. Are you ready? Yes. Taro is a Japanese name for boys from Japanese ta meaning thick or big and ro meaning sun. Um, it's because oh. they are actually supposed to be children with gigantism. Oh, okay. So they're basically big boys. <laughs> Yeah, they're big boys. Okay. Yeah, that is why they seem a little kind of not all, not like the most there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Kotaro specifically is like has the mindset of a child because mm-hmm. he is a child, just a different kind, just just a big one, just a big baby. And they're like a a stark example of the gigantism that like runs rampant in Ashina, right? Like 
the animals yes. are giants. Like a lot of the NPCs are giants and that's, you know, a lot of it is for combat purposes so you can see them as wolf, but like they really made that uh, theatrical choice work with the story. So uh, uh, they must have some special relationship to the waters or maybe you already went through it. Maybe they have a special relationship to the persimmons, which are very close. They're growing at Sempo, so they're uh, somewhat close to the source of the spring. Yes. And honestly, uh, something interesting that you see is that technically the water isn't the best to grow things on because when you go to Mibu Village mm-hmm. and they're trying to grow rice like directly under Fountainhead. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not happening, Chief. It's just, just not happening. Um, now, I'm not saying they're all children. I'm just saying they're definitely like childlike. But yeah, also FromSoft just loves, loves making everyone bigger than you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Everyone is bigger than you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the canon height of your character is in game. Because like, pretty sure the Hunter in Bloodborne is like 5'8". Oh my gosh, you just get shorter and shorter and shorter. How how tall do you think Wolf is? Wolf is supposed to technically be just default FromSoft because his his Figma uh his Figma is like that as well as in any models being pulled. Uh he's supposed to be between 5'6 and 5'8. Five, 5'6 five, 5'8. Five, yes. And, and Kenny Tro is 7 foot 2. <laughs> it's just so Wolf is like technically a manlet as is Emma. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these are definitely the big boas. They're huge. Okay, so they're gigantic. They would be even taller than probably Genichiro or Ishin. Uh, they're the only character I think would be like on par with them would be Owl. Yes, big massive fucker, big guy. So there's several different types of these. We meet two of them in the outskirts. Uh, the first of them is the the Kanabo, the, which is like this iron rod one, right? So what can you tell me about the Kanabo? Kanabo is a really traditionally... It's, it's basically a Japanese baseball bat. Ooh, okay. It's made of either really heavy wood or iron. Um, it's covered in iron caps if it's wood. Sometimes you'll see it if it's made of iron as well but usually there's sometimes spikes it's it's a very classic weapon that you'll see with oni mm. which are little you know like big old demons yeah um, oh yeah because oni uh, m- several types of oni or prominent oni are like ogres uh are they depicted that way right yeah, yeah I think oni, oni even... typically means ogre sometimes oh, occasionally. Okay. um but um they're also like really classic imagery uh just like symbols of hell like when you're getting tortured in hell, you see a lot of that. Um, okay. You'll see a lot of the uh, Kanabo in hell iconography because, I mean, Oni traditionally can be considered as torturers. Mm, okay. Anyways, uh, they're just considered like demons or, or trolls or ogres, whatever. And the Tado troop definitely kind of embodies that in a less sinister way. Mm. It's more along the lines of, oh, yeah, they're big boys and that's really it. But they're they're very reminiscent of like Oni. Yeah. Uh, and there's even almost a like lots of Japanese media, I think, likes to evoke the red Oni, blue Oni story where there's like one of them that wants to be friends with children. And so the other one like makes a big show oftentimes with a Kanabo to like ingratiate the the nice Oni to the children. 
And we almost get that in the uh, uh, the tarot trooper. Who's the NPC? What is his name again? Kotaro. Uh, Kotaro. Because he actually does befriend all of the children of the waters, right? Yes. You can also see them. He can also see them. Like, we oh. can't see them. He can see them. Oh, they're right. they're obviously all dead. But he is kind of considered to be wholly pure and innocent. So he can kind of see them. Right. But I didn't even think about that. That links it to the, like, hell or Punisher motif. Like, what do you call it? The Oni being, like, torturers or, or linked to hell. It kind of speaks to them being part of two worlds, like the spiritual and the physical. Right. And, like, that's a clever way to uh, uh, incorporate that into this. If uh, Kotaro, he can see them because he's, you know, part of that uh, spirit world. Right. Fascinating. Okay, um, so we have the one in, with the Kanabo, and then we also find one with a wooden mallet, similar to a mall. I think it's usually like farm equipment. It's not usually used for combat, I don't think. It's, it's usually used as a tool, but these are like, it's essentially the same thing as a giant club, but this has a, a weighted head uh, for, you know, smashing individual That's it. bits. I'm getting me mallet. <laughs> <laughs> We, can you tell me anything about these uh, uh, these mallets they're using? Is that just like a commonplace farm tool, or yeah? And you can actually hear them, like when you're like when you're sneaking up on them, and you can see them pounding away at something. Typically, mm-hmm. in my brain, I'm like, oh, they're making mochi with the mallets, but that's you know that's obviously not the case because why would they have ingredients for mochi in wartime Japan? <laughs> but- yeah, I mean, it's just a typical mallet. Um, it's obviously massive. Um, sometimes when they swing the mallet, they'll actually swing it too hard and too fast and knock themselves off balance. <laughs> That's so awesome. The Kanabo guys are also like that. They'll swing it and it'll be a little too hard. And, you know, mm. they'll knock themselves off balance. They're also really, really resilient. Like you can like continue to hit them with your sword and mm-hmm. continue to do damage and they'll still try to hit you because mm-hmm. they're they're very hardy. Massive poise. Um, and not just, that's something I love about the enemies in this game. Most stuff doesn't, the vast majority of stuff does not have poise. Like if you nick them, they will stop whatever they're doing. But a, a lot of stuff does have that hyper armor effect where if they're in an attack animation, then you can't, you know, like Genichiro, I was just fighting him a whole bunch. You can like, you know, tap him. You can trap uh, him in a corner and bully him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he only has a few attacks that have that hyper armor that he has to resort to to try to get out of it. Like if he thrusts and you hit him, he won't go out of the thrust. No. But yeah, okay. So the Taro Troop, completely opposite. Um, they have poise. Uh, and they also have just a massive health pool compared to other stuff, right? Right. They're a little scary when you first face them. Um, but the way they're designed and, you know, obviously they wouldn't put them in the beginning of the game if they were really, really hard, but you have mm. to kind of figure to yourself, they were designed to kind of keep you from being too aggressive. They're a great teaching tool for like, if you're being too aggressive, you'll get slapped. So mm-hmm. you got to get your hits in and then get out and you can get your hits in and you get out. Obviously you can use any sort of Shinobi tools on them. Like um, one of their variances obviously hates fire. Mm. They also obviously hate the the pocket sand, the firecrackers. <laughs> um, Makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. So, that, you know, there's certain things that will kind of give them a little stun, but baseline, they, they're very, very hardy. So, yeah, if you're going to approach them, always try to get a stealth kill because otherwise you'll be there all day. 
Uh, I personally do not engage with them. Once I found out that they were like children mentally um, or, you know, they had a developmental delay or something, I was like, ooh, I feel terrible about killing them. I will never touch them. So the terror troops, they're not like the normal Ashina soldiers. Like, I don't know if they're organized somehow, but they're in the employ of Genichiro, right? Like they are conscripted into the fighting force. Yes, Genichiro actually has a lot of people he's conscripted, like essentially mercenaries. Mm. Um, like mercenary, like the Taro troop can technically now be considered mercenaries because they've joined the the war. But yeah, they they've conscripted he's conscripted like a lot of mercenary groups and other people to help him out, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you know anything about like are the Taro troop are they organized? Did they just come from all over Ashina? Like they're not just raised by Sempo or anything? Um, no, but Sempo like definitely found them really useful because I'm sure they were <laughs> manipulated like hell just because they probably couldn't quite understand what was going on. Um, you'll see a lot of them have kind of tattered monk garbs on them. Oh yeah. But not all of them. Some are just like in straight up Pundoshis. <laughs> And some of them are in like when the ones in Mibu, they have their own like set of clothing. Mm. But um, yeah, I would I mean, they're Ash, they're they're native to Ashina, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're like all from one place, but definitely concentrated in Sempo for unfortunately nefarious purposes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so another enemy with gigantism that we meet in this first area are the giant roosters. The game fell. They're officially called game fell, but game you might foul. know them as big black. <laughs> <laughs> they're fucking huge. Like they're you sized. I think they might be taller than wolf. They're they are actually a little taller than wolf. And they're just so funny because they can beat the shit out of you. But to be fair, that's like regular roosters in real life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen big videos of people antagonizing roosters <laughs> but no. they'll think it's so funny until they actually start coming after them because those spurs that they have on their feet they mm -hmm. hurt yeah i bet you know and unfortunately unlike regular sized chickens you can't just punt this thing like a football when, <laughs> when it comes after you yeah you gotta deal with it with a fucking sword you do i think i found i think i found him <laughs> What did you find? What are yeah, you talking about? send him to you. Okay. He's such a tall boy. <laughs> He's, he looks like a person. Oh my God. That, that's, that is the rooster we're fighting. That Japanese, is the... it's called a shamel. Okay. But it doesn't have the little mohawk because this thing has a little like a white mohawk. I think it might just be like an Ashina breed because mm -hmm. none of these, none of these have the crest. Yeah. They don't have a little mohawk. Okay. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> oh, chickens are great. I love chicken. But I love chickens, Eddie. Okay. I'm I'm a pig lover. I absolutely I love, love pigs. pigs too, but <laughs> I think they're just a regular bantam. I think they're a litter they they might they might just be bant like feral bantams. Either that or they're game fowl, which means they're essentially wild chickens. Yeah, we see them. We encounter a bunch of them in Harada, which leads me to believe that they've they're somewhat domesticated. But yes. I guess you can still find them in the wild. <laughs> they went rogue. Because <laughs> they're in that there's like six of them in that one area and they're all there to kill you. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
because there's pellets there. And if, when yeah. they, they just aggro on you normally, but I really wanted it to be so that they're just milling about. And when you pick up the pellets, presumably their food, that's when they all go berserk. Yeah. <laughs> they should. Oh my God. That's really funny. Holy shit. They're an awesome enemy. Uh, they can be annoying. They're not like the birds in Elden Ring where they're just the most annoying thing in the game. But they do move differently than other enemies you've encountered thus far. And so they can surprise you. They're analogous, I think, to the crows of Bloodborne because they don't seem that menacing. But once they jump up into the air, you're like, oh, oh, holy crap. They stagger you really badly. Yeah, which is... You know, just another awesome surprise. They're also all up in Usui Forest. Oh, okay. Um, they're all up in the woods. Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously they're like wild game, but so like they're still. tree climbing chickens. Yeah, they are. Tre- I mean, chickens can climb trees if you don't, you know, if they try hard enough. Stop. They just can't. What? Yeah, they just can't fly like like fly fly away. Flying. Oh yeah, oh. they can do like uh, uh, enhanced jumps with their wings. They definitely have like little rocket boosters on there if they really <laughs> want to. I I don't raise chickens, but I've helped raise chickens, and just mm-hmm. some of the shit they get into is so. They're just dumb. I love chickens, but they're so entertaining. They're awesome. Yeah, they're not uh they're not corvids. They're not one of the smarter breeds no. of uh, uh bird. Nope. Uh okay. Boom 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 boom. Sorry. Oh, and I think I I forgot one. Is it is it the sentry? Yeah. Oh no, let's do uh, uh right before the sentry, because I forgot that they do appear here. Um we the also passes? see our dogs for the first time. Oh, the hounds. Yeah. Um, yes. So there's a few types of dogs we see in the game. They're all they all have the same move set. They're all the same. Some some of them do. <laughs> some of them don't. Wait. Some of them don't. Oh. Oh no. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, the the palace ones. Yeah. The palace ones are really upsetting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Terrifying. <laughs> so these are they look like wolves, kind of, but uh, I think they're specifically hunting dogs, right? Yes. And a lot of like. I mean, think about like the modern dog, like a lot of people think modern dog. And a lot of the time when you think about dogs in Japan in the past, Mm -hmm. um, they look a little different just because obviously when dogs evolved over time, they were evolved for different purposes. But I'm thinking like the ability for them to look a little wolf like they're definitely not wolves. Mm -hmm. You can definitely tell the difference between like a wolf and a dog, um, but they're definitely not wolves. They're very interesting looking dogs Mm -hmm. if you like look close enough they're like just you know just little puppies they're puppos wait what why do you say that because they're they're they're, i mean they're just cute they're a little (laughs) feral looking a little scraggly but you know if they're wild dogs obviously they wouldn't cooperate but it looks Mm. like they're cooperating Mm -hmm. yeah they seem somewhat domesticated guard dogs domesticated enough for military life uh do they look like any particular dog breed you know I'm not a dog person, so I don't really know. The only Japanese dog breed I know is Akita, and they don't quite look like that. They're definitely not as fluffy. So an interesting thing is that they look like Japanese wolves. Okay. Not not necessarily one for one, but they're reminiscent of Japanese wolves. No, they don't look like Akitas. They Akitas are like they're psychopaths. I don't like Akitas. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry to all Akita lovers. (laughs) They're so terrible. I really don't think they look too close to anything okay. just because like they're probably, I don't know. They're not close enough to any modern breed because they're not, they're, they're older. 
Well, and maybe that speaks to like Ashina as this, you know, it's historical fiction, essentially the game, but it's almost like Ashina is your, it speaks to Ashina being this like place between, you know, like the interior ministry looks more modern than, or at least I think they look more modern when they come in than Ashina does. Um, and I thought that was like, well, Ashina is a holdout of the old way because what's his name? He is, you know, a military leader, Ishin, but he is just the Lord. There's no shogun under him. I mean, I guess there would be now that he's abdicated to Kenichiro, but when he was in charge, he was just in charge like an emperor. Whereas the rest of the country has shifted to this emperor as figurehead, as you said, and um, uh, the shogun as the the main power in the country. Right. Um, and so like the wool or the dogs being more just like Japanese wolves, it could be like, well, no, they're a holdout there too. Their animals are more wild than the rest of the countries. Yes. And, and they're supposed to look like wolves. They're not okay, like cool. actually wolves. They just like definitely like, hmm, they look a little, hmm. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're more like a recently domesticated or maybe like they don't have domestic. What they do is they go out and get wolves and just kidnap them. No, (laughs) no. Wolves are notoriously like hard to train. And and this is just Mm -hmm. coming from someone who's very familiar with at least wolf dogs. Mm. Wolf dogs are super destructive and they're wolf. They are wolves essentially. A lot of people will think that they're, you know, they're like, I want to get a wolf dog to be so badass. They are destructive. They are stubborn. Um, You know, they're just not ideal pets. And they they actually should be like contained outside because they're, you know, they're destructive. They they tear up your house. Um, Could be wolf hybrids. Okay. Think proto dog. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Anything else distinctive about these dogs? Definitely built for the cold. They're double coated. They're yeah. double coated oh, dogs. They're double coated. I know nothing about dogs. Tell me about that. It just typically like so huskies. You know, do- huskies are meant for the cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically just means that they have two coats. It has one coat that's closer and denser to the skin, mm-hmm. and one coat on, on on top of that that's a little uh, puffier, like not as dense and spread out, but it's still considered a double coat. It just means it has a denser undercoat. Interesting. And and is that uh, a seasonal thing? No, no, it's, it's year round. They just keep it all year round. <laughs> yep, it's year round. Yeah, so like it, you shouldn't live in a place that gets hot if you have like a husky, right? No, you shouldn't. But okay. uh, people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people do. But um, I mean, even something as simple as like a golden retriever, that's a double-coated dog. Interesting. Oh, German yeah, that's she- a widespread dog. German Shepherds and Labs are also double-coated dogs. Um, but they're working dogs. Mm-hmm. So like the the double coat is definitely for work. Um, like, you know, when you have dogs who are working dogs or sport uh, sporting dogs, um, it's important to have them have a double coat mm. um, because it protects them from the elements. Uh, Shiba, Shiba's Shiba's and Akita's are both double coated dogs. So a lot of double coats in uh, in Japan. So probably they're wolves also double coated. I, mean, I imagine probably. wolves are all double coated. They're outside. <laughs> yeah, probably. No. Are they big dogs for the time? Yeah, they're huge. They're not normal. I mean, like, look at the modern dog. <laughs> look at the modern dog compared to the hounds and Ashina. They're, I mean, obviously, it's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but every, like, there is just a very common saying that me and my friends use, and that's just like, everything's bigger in Ashina. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. If you were to estimate their weight, what do you think 
like 150 pounds? Yeah, uh, easily. Like wow. anywhere between 100 and 150. Depending okay, so on like a dog. bigger wolf. <laughs> nowhere beyond 150. So I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's only one more basic enemy that we encounter in the outskirts. There's two. Um, oh, are there two? Okay, mm-hmm. what did I miss? The assassins. The little the little senpo assassin. Shut up. The little guys appear there too? Yep. They're right on the little pathway that leads you up to um, where you, the memorial mob. There's just one. I think there's just one of them. Okay. So yeah. So uh, we have all of these big enemies. We have the tower troop. We have the giant roosters. We've got these huge dogs. But then we also meet two smaller enemies in this in this area. Um, so one of them is the Sempo assassins. That's where we find their first Sempo assassin. And those are like the opposite of the tarot troop. These are all people with, uh, is it called dwarfism? Like they're little people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's considered dwarfism, but you do technically should, you should say little people. And they're, they're actually not all associated with Sempo. Some of them are, not all okay. of them, but you actually see a couple different kinds but the ones you see in the Ashina outskirts, I think, are strictly Ashina affiliated. Okay, so they're not uh, rats, as Ishin would put it. Yeah, because because he gives you a description of them. Interesting. Okay, and only killing the ones that match the description get you his um, get him to uh, unlock that quest point. Yes. Um, oh, that makes sense because you can't kill any of the ones here and get it. You have to go past the gate. Yes, you they the the rat description. They're they're specifically from Sempo, small and wear bamboo hats. Okay. So uh just like the Taro troop on the other end of the spectrum who resemble Oni, these guys represent a yo a resemble a yokai, right? Uh isn't there like a oil steel thief or something? Yes. Uh, and there to be honest, there's a lot of yokai that are really, really small. Yeah. But you're you're right. The oil that one's pretty close, the oil stealing one. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember what they're called? Yes, hold on. <laughs> Abura Akago. Abura Akago. Yeah, because it's it they're considered like infants. They're considered infants. Yeah, they're infant spirits. Abura Akago. Okay. And then I also have something on this Yokai website that says Aburo Sumashi, oil presser. This one is a an infant spirit lapping oil out of an andon lamp. Uh, the natives say that long ago in the village of Shiga, there was an oil merchant. Every night he stole the oil from the Jizu or the Jizo of the Otsu crossroads. But when this person died, his soul became a flame, and even now they grow accustomed to this errant fire. If it is so, that then the baby which licks the oil is this person's rebirth. So it's mm. considered like bad karma. Ah, okay. That explains why we find so many of them in Sempo or why some of them are spies from Sempo. Possibly. That's that that can't be confirmed nor denied on that. Because like a child that that has a bad omen is more likely to be given up to the Sempo monks, right? Yes, absolutely. Interesting. And then there's also this thing, Abura Sumashi, uh, the oil presser. The Abura Sumashi is a rare yokai native to Kumamoto Prefecture. Kumamoto, yep. Okay. It looks like a squat humanoid with a large, ugly head like a potato or a stone. It wears a straw-woven raincoat. Abura Sumashi are extremely rare, only found deep in the mountains or along mountain passes in the southern port of Japan throughout the range where wild tea plants grow. (laughs) That actually ties into, not necessarily 
the a quest line, but it's definitely like it's small and you don't quite notice it as anything mm-hmm. significant. But right after coming out of the Serpent Valley, mm-hmm. you you meet um your second one. Oh, right before you fight Gyobu. Yes. He he has a little herbal catalog. So these these guys are modeled after these t- oil pressers. They're mm-hmm. taking uh, uh, local herbs uh, uh, and pressing them for the oil that we find so much of in like the Harada estate. Mm-hmm. There's another interesting one, and this is actually very this this is a cross what I would like to say a cross culture spirit, which is called a, a, a konaki jiji which is a spirit of an old, it either has the appearance of an old man or a baby. And it'll basically tell travelers like, Hey, can you like pick me up and take me to, you know, whatever, whatever destination. And they'll essentially just become heavier and heavier until they crush uh, the victim. Oh, they have a, a, a move. Part of their move set is they like oh, jump onto no, your back yes, and then they no. bend you backwards almost as if they're becoming heavier oh, and heavier. That's so cool. Oh, no, I didn't want. Oh, I didn't want to be reminded of that. No. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. My back hurts just thinking about it. No. Yeah, that's another good surprise. When you see there, there's just a lot of um, theatrical misdirection. They're like, they're tiny. They're probably not that dangerous. And you're like, well, actually, I think like, oh, they can't have a very good defense because they're so tiny. But actually, they have these like impregnable uh, hats that you need the axe to cut through. They're quick little shits. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I also avoid fighting them whenever I can because I, I just don't enjoy it. I do like using my big old explodey axe, the blue flame axe, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so they're armed with knives and some of them wear a wide brimmed hat and then some <laughs> of them wear a more form fitted one. Uh, essentially, they're they're just like little covert boys. They're little what? Covert boys. Covert boys. Okay, little so we got big boys. boys in the tarot troop, and then we got the little covert boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I love it. And so this is another thing, like the tarot troop, right? They're just born this way, and mm-hmm. and there's enough of them that there is a uh, a cultural role surrounding them. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up their shoes. I yeah, like okay. to bring up their shoes. They're called Ipongeta or otherwise known as Tengu Geta. And uh-huh. they're just, they're so fucking silly. I love them. They have like the one tooth and it actually has a use. Um, it was originally made by Japanese martial arts practitioners to okay. strengthen their legs and improve their balance. Interesting. That's why they got mad gains on their fucking quads. <laughs> okay, so it just forces your foot into this position where you're like constantly flexing. You just definitely have to like, I mean, it's just like one tooth. So you have mm. to be strengthened and balanced. Otherwise, you're going to fall over. Mm-hmm. It always makes me think of uh, uh, Princess Mononoke. There's the the monk character. He uh, uh, runs on those kinds of shoes. Yeah, which kind of points to the fact that he's not like a normal monk. Because <laughs> those are typically shoes not only associated with like martial arts, but uh, Tengu, which ah. are not, you know, they're not necessarily bad spirits, but they're not good either. Yeah, that that that's a great like foreshadowing to. Hmm, this guy's a little sus. <laughs> okay, so there's the the assassins, um, and these ones are not in the service of Senpo Temple. They are uh, conscripted 
into uh, Genichiro's army and they are loyal to Ashina. Yes. Uh, we also find one other smaller enemy, and that's our first sentry, who has no purpose except to. I think he can hurt you, like he has a push yeah, he can attack hit you with or a something. Stick. <laughs> okay, he can hit you with a stick. But mostly, he uses the stick to bang this. Uh, uh, it's a gong. Bang this gong uh, and alert other soldiers to your presence. Um, this is the first time we find one of these. Uh, it's not unique. There are other, are other ones. But um, what can you tell me about this sentry? So, I mean, obviously, they're like a sentry. But you can see that they're not like physically capable. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are just kind of on the ground. And a lot of them might not even be able to walk in general. Because um, a lot of them have atrophied legs. Mm. They also apparently have noticeably amazing vision. Mm. Like they point that out. They actually can, it says they have exceptional b- vision, allowing them to see you from great, from distances greater than any other enemy. I mean, and that makes sense. Like, even if they don't have a, you know, their eyes are actually better, they spend a lot of time just sitting around looking. <laughs> So, like, they're very good at picking out uh, details in the distance. It's interesting because, like, good, like, supernatural or exceptionally good vision is talked about multiple times in the game. And I don't really think they're associated, but it's usually to talk about Okami women or Okami women descendants. Because mm, the Okami women, famous archers, and then the uh snake village or snake uh uh snake eyes snake eyes they're uh descendants and also snipers yes um but this guy is again he has no real physical abilities all the (laughs) all the dudes all the sentries have no real physical ability yes oh yes they're very sad i also try to avoid killing them it's so funny they scream too they're like ah (laughs) <laughs> they start screaming. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I feel I feel bad for them because it. I think it speaks to again like the exhaustion of the army. That like even if your legs don't work, that does not excuse you from Genichiro's conscription. Like we will find a use for yes, you. Yes, we worry. will find a job for you. Don't worry. <laughs> you sit here. You take this gong. If anybody comes over that ridge, you bang this gong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a, a pitiful, sad enemy who I try not to kill because they definitely deserve some dignity. There's so many like pitiful, sad enemies that you won't kill. And meanwhile, I just won't kill them because I run right past them. <laughs> <laughs> like Sonic the Hedgehog, I gotta go fast. Just pick up the items. No no use yeah. killing anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so before we reach any of them, we find our first mini boss. So now we're going to talk about the bosses in the area uh, a little bit uh, before we close ourselves out. Uh, so our first mini boss, not including, we'll talk about the other guy, the leader Shigenori. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about him in Ashina Castle because he also appears on a bridge. At least I think it's the same guy. Uh, but the first mini boss we come across is General Naomori Kawarada. Yes. Which I'm sure you could say better than I could. Yeah, it's Naomori Kawarada. It would be Taicho because it's um, general. It'd be Naomori Taicho. Okay. So he's our first uh, mini boss. 
He has a moveset that's reminiscent of the soldiers, but also expands upon it and also shows us some of the Ashina staples that we'll eventually become familiar with. Like, I think it's the he's the first enemy that does an overhead strike. Mm -hmm. It's the first enemy that you that teaches you about perilous attacks. Yep. And sweeping attacks. Okay, so he can do a sweeping attack and a thrust. Yes. Okay, so he's got what I traditionally think of as a samurai war outfit. Yeah, it's very traditional. It's very like when you think yeah, <laughs> medieval Japan or you think like Japan in general, he is like primo Japan. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's got a horned helmet. Mm-hmm. Called a kabuto. It's got a face mask with it, mm-hmm. right? Which I always thought made them look like they were supposed to be demons. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it can have like different representations. Obviously, it's also just a map. It, it could help keep you safe from getting shot in the head. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was typically, a lot of the times it was made of ceramics. It was like lacquered. Um, it couldn't be made of like iron or leather um, or it can be made of both. Oh, Lord. Yeah, fa- but it was still considered like face armor. Mm-hmm. The ones you see in game all have like all these unique designs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kabuto he's wearing is interesting because it's got like bull horns. Yes. Which could be reminiscent of their clan or it could just be reminiscent of their rank. I think it's a very, very. Oh, can I say something cursed? You might have to. Edit this out. You curse all you want. We curse on our <laughs> no, podcast. No, no, I'm going to say something cursed. Oh, sure. <laughs> the, top of this, the top of the kabuto looks like a ceiling titty. A ceiling today. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, like the American uh, uh, Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it definitely looks like a boob. So the the horns speak to me like the horn god, very masculine uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, do you say it could be evocative of the clan? Is the I, I may have missed that. I guess it shows up several times. In the it's game. not. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I probably not. It could be more of rank rather than clan, or it could just be like we had these sitting around. <laughs> you know. Well, but is the Ashina associated with the bull? Because like I'm a Taurus, like traditionally thought of as very stubborn because of the bull imagery, and the Ashina fighting style is like. I'm just not going to give up. It's very yeah, like shonen absolutely. protagonist. So like, are they associated with the bull? We have the burning bull. And then we also have this uh, uh, helmet. Piece. That too. And then it also represents luck and wealth. Hmm. Okay. So their armor, it looks like the same style as the chest plates that the shoulders are wearing, but just all over like form fitted pieces of it. It's beautiful. I think, I think that like, especially when you look at the, um, when you look at it up close, it's made of finer mm. material. It's much mm. better put together. It just looks good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that it looks kind of pristine is a great sign of the fact that this guy's probably never been touched before. Right. He's a general. Who's going to challenge him? Because, there, I mean, to be fair, I don't want to like look at everyone and be like, well, he's probably never fought before. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt he's never fought before. Mm-hmm. It's just more of a, okay, it looks good. So he, he must be really good at what he does. It's beautiful, though. It has, like, beautiful, like, metalwork on it. It's got, like, uh, silks. He's got silks underneath. It's just it's just gorgeous. But a lot of the times when you see traditional samurai, their big old kabuto, their big helmets, um, it's, it, it's kind of indicative of their status as mm-hmm. well as their iconography. You'll see kind of later in the game a lot of different samurai, especially the ministry samurai, are just, like, a little scary. 
mm-hmm. but they're very unique and they're very easy to identify. Okay, so his armor represents like kind of the wealth of the nation. Like you, it's very pristine and also has a lot more work put into it than the average soldiers. Let's talk about his weapon. He's using a katana, but it's like a die katana, right? Like this thing is gigantic. It's a nodachi. It's essentially a Japanese greatsword. Okay. It's big. It's huge. And you, I think one of the coolest parts about the fight, especially when you first fight it, is you you feel it. You really feel the weight. Oh, yes. How big it is. <laughs> it's weight. It's girth. <laughs> are, we still, are we still talking about swords? Picture of masculinity is what you're saying. Yes. Listen, manly men swing around their big swords. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is, this is yeah. just what happens. Yeah. It's natural for boys to have a go at, at each other with their swords. <laughs> what? <laughs> just happens. Well, it's fine. Don't make a big deal of it. Yeah, exactly. Why are you making a big deal out of it? But he has, he actually has like two swords. Obviously the one he uses in combat, but like he has like a second sword and he never uses it. And it's just typically just like, oh, it's your second sword. It's the Wakizashi. Okay. So it's just like this short sword uh, that's often paired with a katana in a uh, Daisho set, right? Yes. It's your backup sword. Okay. So uh, basic mini boss uh, takes the stuff that you're learning from the enemies and just amps it up and makes you focus on that fight. Um, and of course, adds a couple of new tricks. And then we find someone with, I think, an identical moveset, but actually has a different outfit. And I wondered if that meant anything. Uh, General Tenzin Yamauchi. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, it's just his getup. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a cool jacket. Yeah, he's got a cool jacket. <laughs> Wait, don't be fooled. She's just a regular Malibu Stacy with a stupid cheap hat. She still embodies all the awful stereotypes she did before. But she's got a new hat. The cooler Yamauchi. The Chad Yamauchi versus the Virgin Kawarada. I just realized, I think it's repurposed. Yeah, it is repurposed. What do you mean? As in, like, it used to be the coat. It looks like a Hirata coat. Really? But it's faded, and then there's another, it looks like a Polonia um, uh-huh. sigil over it. I mean, okay. they both look extra fucked, but um, the jacket itself is kind of fucked. I mean, you do see that sigil all over Ashina outskirts. The the not, the iris essentially not in bloom. Oh, so okay. the reeds, the reeds of the iris, uh, essentially the leaves, which is mm. great. Uh, which is actually great. It's great representation. Mm. Um, or no, um, great symbolism. Wait, wait, speak to that. What is it? What do you mean by that? Um, you know, like the support, the support, the leaves, the leaves of the iris. Uh, irises are very like reedy because they're mm-hmm. um semi aquatic. Mm. So it's just kind of like an iris. Iris leaves are just like the reeds. They're the support. Oh, okay. So they're like the support. They're the pillars. Like there's Genichiro, and then there's the generals under him, and then there's the soldiers under them. Like you know, they are they form the base of the power structure. Yes, and actually, if you look up. They actually, I think online they have Seki- the the crest, the mon of Sekiro, mm. which is super cool. Yeah, the the Hirata looks like an looks like something that's not yet in bloom. It's like the iris not yet in bloom. Mm. But um, I know like other ones actually exist. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even know that because it's got kind of like a design pasted over it. Fascinating. Okay, so his jacket was a Harada jacket. Yes, and it's got like a Polonia um, sigil on it. 
It's the government seal of Japan. Is it? <laughs> I mean, it might not be there, but it's just the modern one. It mm. just says in Japan, the leaves of Polonias have been used as an emblem since the 1300s to honor important figures. Interesting. So what is a Polonia? It's like a flower. It's a cool, cool little flower. It's like a tree that flowers, but it's a very pretty tree that flowers. Uh, okay, so anything else remarkable about General Tenzin Yamauchi? Um, I just like the way that he patrols. Like, obviously, nobody was guarding the gate. Whereas mm-hmm. this one's just kind of like doing patrols. And there's like a little map, little little battle plan map. Oh, yeah. Uh, right next to him. I just think like the disparity between the way that the Ashina soldiers look and how these guys look are interesting. Mm. I'd also like to note that they have um, on the back of their armor, they have endless knots. Which is? It's a symbolic knot in, in Buddhism. Uh, it, just, it just basically represents eternity. Um, so it's like a good luck charm. Okay. So what do you mean they? Uh, there's a difference between them and their soldiery? The way they're dressed. I mean, obviously they're in, like, they're samurai. Mm-hmm. So they, they have much better one. But they're, like, definitely better fight. They're better fighters. They have much more energy. Like, they have two health bars. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just the disparity between the way they look. That, well, maybe speaking to the hierarchical nature of Ashina society. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, the average Ashigaru couldn't afford, like, the silk like these guys do. <laughs> right. Um, and their armor was almost never spotless. Mm-hmm. Or falling apart. <laughs> okay, interesting. Because even though uh, uh, everything's trickling down in Ashina, but it doesn't often, it doesn't necessarily get to the people at the bottom. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he has, yeah, he has that map. And uh, I feel like uh, you get scrap iron there too. I feel like it's supposed to be evoking like a makeshift command post. Yes. They're planning the defense of Ashina against the inner ministry, right? Yes. Yes. Because they got their ass whooped. Because Ashina got its ass whooped by the interior ministry. I mean, they were able to probably fend them back, but like, you know, they know they're going to be back. Mm, Of course. Um, Okay. And then I didn't think about this, but the first general we uh, come across, the, uh, what was his name again? Kawarada. Uh, He's uh, uh, standing between two burners. Uh, So he's like stationed to guard the gate, but he has these two little fires in stands next to him, maybe to keep him warm while he waits. Right. So the generals have some creature comforts where the soldiers do not specifically. To be fair, like a lot of the soldiers are they're they're patrolling. A lot of them are. Um, mm-hmm. But this guy's stationary. So it could just be because he's like standing still and he's standing right next to a, a pyre. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, so beyond Tenzin, Mm-hmm. We have to go under where the bridge has collapsed and through the little snake pass. What about and the chained ogre? Isn't that after you f- we find the snake? No, no, that's before. That's actually before the general. Because oh, it was before he, the general. You yes, can't okay. actually go. You can't actually fight fight him until you fight the chained ogre. You're so right. Okay, so let's go back and let's talk about the chained ogre on the way to Tenzin yes. uh, at the top of the Ashina stairway. Uh, we've already seen like, uh, Genichiro conscripting people from all sorts, just the regular peasantry with the Ashigaru, but also uh, the Taro troop and the assassins. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we see that he's conscripted or is using like soldiers that are not acting rationally. Or consent or consenting. <laughs> or consenting, yeah. So 
Tell me about the chain ogre. Why another case of gigantism? What what is with the chain ogre? Are they a regular human? Yes. So, but his actual name in game is called Red Oni. Really? Yes. It directly translates to Red Oni, and his internal name is Enslaved White Man. Awesome. <laughs> that's kind of funny. I don't know why I think that's funny, but fucking dope. Like I can't believe it. Yeah. No. I mean, it just means he's a European, mm-hmm. and he was captured. Um, I mean, he looks European. He's blonde. Oh, really? Oh, really blonde, interesting. Dude. Um, it just says in the original script, it says, in Austin, there's a, a gigantic man called Red Oni. How mm-hmm. did he get red eyes and go insane? It is said that he was imprisoned in an abandoned dungeon. Oh, okay. So the Chained Ogre was in uh, Ashina Dungeon. Yeah, he was experimented on by um, Dojin. Interesting. Okay, so that's how he, why he has the red eyes because there's the same red eyes that um what's his name has uh, uh Kenichiro, right? Yeah, and you'll see a lot of red eye enemies around Ashina because it just stems essentially from the same source, which is the sediment. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, and again, this they go into this in the manga. It's just a matter of like purifying and refining it to the point where you're not going to go insane, which technically like doesn't work because Kenichiro absolutely goes insane at the end. Yes. He may not be like a nonverbal rage monster, but he is succumbing to insanity. No, and he's still giving commands. He's just delusional as fuck. Yeah. So the Chained Ogre is similar to fighting the Tarot Troop in that it's like got just a bucket of health, uh, Mm -hmm. real poise. Like you can't just make him flinch uh, even when he's not making uh, an attack. But this is like fighting a giant pro wrestler, right? It's actually based on Kanikuman. And what is that? Fucking ultimate muscle. <laughs> the, the, what is the, ultimate muscle? It is literally a, it's a manga series about a wrestler. Because <laughs> okay. Miyazaki likes Kinikuma. Okay, that's awesome. Um, So they do several uh, wrestling staple moves. They'll like pick you up, suplex you, uh, throw you, drop kick you. And I feel like this is where people get a lot of their second deaths, uh, if they're mm-hmm. being very careful. Uh, because... It is just hard, especially if you haven't doubled back to get the flame vent. It's just real hard to get through this fight because so many of his oh, attacks I did. will just one shot. <laughs> yeah, did you get first, through the first time? Yeah, because I dope. didn't know about the flame vent. <laughs> but I, I, I suffered through it and I fucking did it. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you stealth him and get the first death blow? Nope. Wow, you're good at this game. I know, suffering. <laughs> it wasn't That's necessarily amazing. a matter of good. It was just patience. So you just went, figured him out and did it. Yep. Wow. <laughs> very patiently. It was very upsetting. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, okay, so what else can you tell me about him? He's in like, uh, he's got a board nailed around his or locked around his head. And yep. then he's also chained at the like manacle. He's a prisoner. <laughs> he's one of those dudes that are waiting to release. Essentially, okay. but notice how everyone is keeping their fucking distance. They're like, uh, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Like they're, they're, you know, it's not like the blazing bull where the blazing bull is just like kind of, mm-hmm. I think that's more of like a trigger thing where it's just like they set, they see you coming and they set his horns on fire. Right. Whereas, uh, this one is just more of a, he's there as preven- preventative measures. Mm hmm. And he he does appear like later in the game and it's like the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's just like a basically a weapon, a small weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> so Europeans or maybe Russians who came over to Ashina, this is their fate usually. I don't think Russians were there yet. Oh, I think really? It du- okay. It's a Dutchman. It's a it's Dutchman. A du- yeah, it's a Dutchman. 
The Dutch. The Dutch. Yeah, no, it's the Dutch. The Dutch strike again. <laughs> okay, so he's got tattered clothing. He's a prisoner in every sense. Um, and he, uh, maybe that's why he's so much taller than everyone else is because he's already a tall European compared to maybe Japan at the time. He could have mutated. Well, he's obviously, uh, they're experimenting with the, the rejuvenating sediment. Um, and so like tower troopers get gigantism from the waters or the persimmons. So he's obviously getting gigantism from the sediment. Right. Also, he hates fire. Fire. <laughs> he hates it. Yeah. Very uh, effective use of the flame vent. But what I really like about this design is when I look at him from a distance, he looks very much like an ogre, an ape man or something. Mm -hmm. right? right. And as I come in closer, he looks more and more human. And like when I look at his face, he he looks like Dr. Zeus from Planet Dr. of the Oh, Eight. Dr. Zeus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does. You're right. Which to me speaks to like the tra the sorrow of the design that he looks very inhuman. And as you come closer, you're like, oh, it's just a human in pain. He looks like Robin Williams from Jumanji. <laughs> He does. He does. I mean, like, not one for one, but he definitely has, like, the same air of Robin Williams from Jumanji. Very feral. Very sad man. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've made our two obligatory 90s references for the episode. I know. Yes. That's thank good. you. Love it. Because that's all you 90s kids. Yeah. Um. How, how old are you? I'm 28. You're 28? Oh, I'm 36. You're younger oh, than I thought you were. I'm just a fetus compared to you. Yeah. Okay, anyways, um, okay, so the Chained Ogre, kind of our first beast-type enemy. There aren't a lot of them, but we do get these enemies that are bigger and have uh, a real poise. The Ogre, the Bull, uh, the Demon of Hatred, and the, um, uh, what's it called? Which are, I think, the biggest examples of it, uh, the Guardian Ape. Yes. And the Ogre, I think, his combat design, I think, translates up to the Guardian Ape. Uh, and we'll probably talk about that more when we do an episode on that. I just think it's interesting how he has a very like small move pool, but it's just like devastating. Mm -hmm. He has like, I think like only eight moves, but they're, they're just fucking devastating. <laughs> Especially the grab attacks. They're just, oh, they're bad. I hate the grab attacks because I find them difficult to uh, dodge properly uh, or difficult to figure out which grab attack it is so I can know the timing of it. But I do love his kicks because it's just like, you know, he's got these big tree trunk legs and his kicks are just the wind up big football swing. I just think it's so funny how he literally like has a drop kick move. It's so funny. <laughs> it's just so good. But he like literally drills towards you with his legs and it's like, oh, shit. You know, he can cover a lot of ground, which mm -hmm. is scary, especially when you fight him. Just every area fight him in. Honestly, none of them are fun to fight him in. <laughs> no, at least here you have, uh, you're already in a pretty wide open space. You can go down the stairs. But when you right. fight him later, the one that's chained up at the bottom of the tower, it's such a cramped space. Like you just can't get a meaningful uh, defensive distance there. Yes, but it, it, it is optional at least. You know, it's not like you have to fight him, but it is like an interesting fight. I actually kind of like fighting him but i won't go mm -hmm. out of my way to do it it's very panic inducing <laughs> i just Absolutely. think it's funny how you have to use like or you don't have to but you it's recommended you use like the flame vent on him 
<laughs> but you like can use it in Ashna Castle. I'd be like, wouldn't this like burn down the whole fucking castle? Mm-hmm. Paper walls. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, he is a, a, a sphincter tightening fight just because of all of those one shots. Okay, so beyond him and beyond General Tenzin, then we go under the bridge and we come across, it's not exactly an enemy because you don't have a normal fight with it, but you do interact with it violently. Um, and that's <laughs> one of the two uh, giant white snakes that we find in Ashina. Oh, yeah. They're so cool. They're such like a great representation of like, because because honestly, like, I mean, FromSoft loves dealing with like old gods versus mm-hmm. new gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just like a perfect representation of that because in Shintoism, which is one of the, you know, the main religion of Japan, mm-hmm. like animals, trees, plants, everything, birds, bugs, bees, grass, flowers and trees all have like it's animism. Mm-hmm. It's it's perfect animism, except this is literally like giant snake, you know, just like big snake. Right. So it's like actually alive. I don't really think it's supernatural. It's just supernaturally huge. It's just a, it's technically just a big fucking snake. That's literally <laughs> all it is. Uh, yeah. So it was worshipped as a god, uh, especially in Mibu, right? Yeah. It used to live on Fountainhead. Um, and was uh, uh, kicked out of there when the dragon took root, right? Right. And And snakes are considered... Incomplete dragons, especially in Eastern mythos. Interesting. So it's albino. It's a white snake. Isn't there some significance to stark white animals in Japanese mythology? In Shintoism, maybe? Definitely is like a lot of stuff about white snakes, especially in Eastern mythos. Mm. Because there's like a really famous story in China about white snakes. Oh, yeah, The Legend of the White Snake, which is uh, there are two snake sisters, they're gods, Mm -hmm. um, and they come down onto Earth to uh, seek, I think, a a husband. Mm -hmm. And White Snake falls in love with this maybe doctor in training or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how it turns out, but uh, Green Snake is the other sister, and she's more, she's like the agent of chaos. Um, So I think she seduces the doctor, and there's a falling out between the sisters, I can't remember how it ends. I just remember reading the white snake one and it turns out okay. I think I don't remember. Okay. It's been a really long time. But in terms of like white animals, like, yes, you could consider that like kind of sacred. I mean, considering you have other white animals mm-hmm. um, just because they're such an outlier. You know, you got the 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 guardian ape, which is white. And then you mm-hmm. have the other apes, which are also white. And you actually have white dogs. Like the hounds. Oh, um, really? Yeah, the where hounds. You, where, which ones do we find that are white, or are they all just really the minister, the 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 lone shadow hounds? Ah, they're white. The, okay, so they may have like some royal breed. The very good boys. <laughs> uh, yeah, they come when you call them. Yeah, they do. You you whistle for them, and they'll come attack your worst enemy for you. <laughs> Fucking great. Um, but in terms of giant snake, like you actually see like bits of the snake all over us, you know, like it's shed skin. You'll mm-hmm. see its skin being revered. You'll see its like intestines being revered. It's just snakes in Easter mythos is so fucking layered. And it's not even just Shintoism. There's just so many layers to like snakes um, in Eastern mythology. But they, they are considered sacred. Cool. So it's more like it's not like regular combat. It's more like a puzzle boss. Right. And it's a I think a note from uh, the company that when you're or the designers that this game, you will have to stealth some things like mm-hmm. you've already had 
uh, moments where stealth was the optimal thing or could get you an advantage. But this is the first time when they're like, no, 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 you have to. No, actually, you have to do it at the beginning. The very, very beginning. The very, very beginning. Yeah, yeah, you got it because you ain't got no sword. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you can just you can just jump around. You can? <laughs> you yeah, can. I mean... <laughs> You can, uh, uh, you have to walk, but if you keep jumping. As long as you don't get killed, you're fine. No, yeah. Oh my God, I never knew that. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, you don't actually have to sneak. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, so I think this is the first time, because if he sees you, that's it. Because uh, uh, it does these huge hitbox sweeping attacks and can also so annoyingly knock you off. And if that damage kills you, you don't get to you're, use you're your resurrection. You're dead for real. <laughs> you're dead for so it's the first time you have to use stealth and you overcome it by hiding in the palanquin. Tell me about this palanquin. What is the significance of it? It's a wedding. Pa- it's a wedding palanquin. Okay. Uh, so ceremonial wedding to the serpents. It's not an actual wedding. They eat you. They eat you. That's they the that's you. the fucking wedding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they just went there and literally married the snakes. I the, I'm pretty sure they ate you for real. You're, it's like a sacrifice. It's like a, a ceremonial wedding. And, and you'll see that where marriage is a sacrifice in the game. Um, but, you know, it's a quote unquote wedding where they would probably pick a sacrifice um, and send them down below and snake would eat it and either bless them or leave their village alone. <laughs> mm. Either or works great. Do we think Ashina is still sacrificing people to this thing or it's like, uh, I think it's an abandoned tradition considering how old the palanquin looks. And uh, even if it was like done, quote unquote, recently, it's not been for a while because they've been focused on the war. So, right. Um, but the 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 white snake is very much still at play. You wait for it to press its eye up against the palanquin and then you stab it in the eye, which was the first time in the game I got covered in blood and realized that it had the same uh, like blood mechanic as Bloodborne, where like mm-hmm. if you just fight a bunch of stuff and don't rest, it'll just accumulate on your body and you look all slick. Yep. But uh, is it, it doesn't have like an eye wound later. So these things would probably regenerate pretty quickly. I don't know because, okay, so you, you see the two snakes. There's mm-hmm. two of them. Mm-hmm. There's the one that guards the shrine in the cave, and then there's the one that's uh, fucks you in the sunken valley. Mm-hmm. I think it ha- it loses its eye. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's gone. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so this is the one that you find again in the sunken valley. Yes, correct. We love it. We love to see the two snakes. What a thrill. <laughs> is that wrong, Metal Gear? My bad. <laughs> I just like MGS3 a lot. I get really emotional with MGS3. <laughs> oh, yeah? I love Snake e- I love Snake Eater. So uh, we go past the snake. We come up into the uh, another military fort that's just outside the Ashina main gate. Mm-hmm. And guarding the main gate is Gyobu Oniwa. Oh! His name. <laughs> His name. Kyobu, is Kyobu Masataka Oniwa. Yeah, we all know. Absolutely. What a fucking what a fucking guy. Yeah, and it sounds great in the Japanese. I know it's Mimi in the English, but I fucking love it in the English. Uh, it's so good. It's I mean, even like the Japanese um audience loved it. So I, I really don't like when people are like, I don't like the dub. It's like okay, but like this icon is in the dub. I've gotta I've gotta do it. I think the English dub, they do a really good job on it. And I think it's because the company has a lot of whoever they outsource that stuff to, it's a good company and they have a relationship with them because I assume it's the same people who are doing all the Dark Souls stuff. It's not. 
It's not. Oh my I'm, gosh, I'm pretty tell sure me. it's not. No, I don't. I know it's not them because it's just like you know, <laughs> most of the people doing Dark Souls and Bloodborne are like they're they're British. They're British. They're either British, Scottish, Irish, or Dutch, or you know, or whoever. You know, it's just like European. Whereas this is more. I think this is an American company. Interesting. Okay, that's true. We did have uh, far fewer British accents in this uh, game. Do we have any British accents in this? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't think that's fun. That would that would have been very funny. But I do, I do love Nashir Dalal as as Wolf, and I do love uh, Ray Chase as Genichiro. So I'm fine with that. Big fan. If you haven't played through the game with the English dub, fucking do it. So you're fighting the General My Little Pony at the. At the gates of Ashina Castle, who was... Okay, so he is a general. Yes, he's actually... So his title, he has a title. <laughs> oh, tell me. Oniwa is his clan's name, and Yobu is his title. Mm. It means Minister of Justice. My goodness. Masataka is his first name. Oh. Yobu means Minister of Justice, and then Masataka Oniwa is... His full, like his full name. Ah, I see. So Oniwa, does that mean anything? Literally means the Oni. The Oni? <laughs> so the, the demon? demon. means the demon. <laughs> okay, and Masataka, does that have any significance? Or is it just a cool sounding name? I cannot remember. Okay. So he's wielding a Yari. Yes, he's wielding a, a cross-section Yari. Um, and that is actually the spear that Tamura uses in the beginning. Because mm. uh, Ishin gave it to him as a gift. Which is, oh, I love it. And then Ishin gets it back as Sword Saint. Yes. Oh, so good. Uh, he uses it also in a unique way from Ishin uh, and Tamura. He has it on like a chain or a rope. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can throw it or swing it around, which is very anime, but nobody else does that with a spear in this. He's definitely like, like if you weren't wolf short pants McGee, it'd be kind of terrifying because, I mean, it's got a huge range. Oh, my God. Could you imagine, like, if you were charging at him, like, blindly, you get rocked. Yes, absolutely. Just the momentum of the horse. And it's got this thing that he can use as a lance or use as an axe because it's such a, a broad-headed thing. It's beautiful. I, I think as a design, from a design standpoint, I think he's a great first boss. Mm-hmm. And if you're still, I mean, honestly, even as a veteran player, if you're not careful, you can still get rocked. Oh, yeah. He is, once you learn him, like as a fight, when you learn the actual blocks, his uh, rhythm is really pleasing. Like once you get it, I think. But you can also, I feel like most people, the first time they beat him, they do a lot of hit and run stuff. They wait for him to go into a turn grapple over to him, do a couple of hits, and then maybe let him run away. I love his pony. I like his, yes, I like tell his, me uh, about his pony. Uh, his horse, Onikage, which means demon, uh, shadow of the demon. Shadow of the demon, Onikage. Yeah, I love, I fucking love Onikage. He's got like a little big scar across his nose and he's just, he. okay, here's something funny. Like Japanese horses are assholes, mm-hmm. okay? Especially during that period, they were just like literally... Jesuits came back and were like, we we couldn't even get near them. They were dickheads. Uh, and they're considered like wild. They're and they're short. They're notoriously short horses. Um, so Onikage is obviously a freak of nature. It's great Ashina gigantism added again. 
but he's like primo. He's he's got a very well, technically, even though he's huge, he's got a stocky build. He's massive. He's just thick and he's covered in hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's just very true to the breed. Uh, most modern horse breeds, especially like native Japanese ones, are pretty close to their ancestors. Not all of them, just just some of them. But mm-hmm. these boys were amazing war steeds because they were just you know, they were just, they're like little freight trains. But an interesting thing to note is that he's afraid of firecrackers. Mm-hmm. Um, There's, I know plenty of horses who are not afraid of firecrackers, but there's plenty of horses who just the way their brain works is that they sometimes they can't categorize things like we do. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say a horse is afraid of something on the, on the other end of the arena. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we know it's not bad. Like, let's say it's just like a piece of, like a piece of plastic. We mm. know it's not bad because we've compartmentalized that under not bad. They, sure. they can't do that. So unfortunately, some horses forever will be afraid of one thing. And even if you desensitize the shit out of them, they still are afraid of it. So he's probably like technically a perfect warm out, except for the fact that he's afraid of like firecrackers. And he just gets spooked by loud noises. Yes, Absolutely. Or just, I mean, to be fair, it's like it's li- it's lights, it's loud noises, it's smoke, and it's underneath his feet, which probably right. which is their blind spot. It's one of their blind spots. Ooh, so. uh, I always use the flame vent personally. I like using the firecrackers. <laughs> yeah, you like using firecrackers. Such a dickhead as a, as a whor- as an avid horse person. I I just <laughs> just think it's such a dick move, but it's just like. Here's something funny. When I was growing up, I had an Irish trainer who my horse was a bit of a, at the time was a bit of a scaredy cat mm-hmm. and he would just like throw things at me. Not like at me specifically, but he would just like throw things at my horse to quote unquote desensitize him, which is not what you're supposed to do. Sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but I remember he like one time he just like threw a whip at me and it like landed on my horse and it freaked him out. <laughs> I bet. And you're like, please don't do that. It's gonna, he's gonna kill me. <laughs> He's going to throw me. But yeah, I do love Onikage. He's got, he's actually covered in a little bit of armor. Yeah. He's got, uh, 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 what do you call that? Barding? He's got like a whole chainmail suit, almost. Very close. Yeah. Which is funny because his stuff, uh, Onikage stuff, looks like it's in better array than Gyobu. Uh, Gyobu strikes me as different from the generals we just fought in that he does have nicer things, but his stuff's all tattered. Like his stuff isn't pristine like theirs is. He's the only one guarding the gate. He's the one who's actually stopping people, which yeah, like he's he's at the front gate. He's evidenced by the battlefields of, of bodies. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, people are terrified of him, but they, they're still going to go because they got to follow orders. But yeah, I mean, like the, the whole thing is just like covered in bodies and fire and gore and provisions. It's just, you know, it's it's literally a battlefield, not, mm. not necessarily the most active at the moment when you're there, but still scary. He's pretty great. Onikage, I feel bad for him because the majority of the fight you spend wailing on his butt <laughs> just to get yeah. to Gyobu. It's so un- it's so unrealistic because like, oh my God, some horses get a little boo-boo cut and it's like they can't walk anymore. They're like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, well, good thing he has that armor on. Onikage has made it built fucking different. <laughs> he's a fucking truck. Like he's, he's the first train he's in He's a Japan. semi. Yeah, he's yeah. a semi. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, uh, he's, I feel like he is a, a hybrid boss, um, which makes sense because it's Onikage and 
Yobu, um, which is funny that I wish like the, you know, they only have so much room, but I wish uh, the boss name said Onikage and Gyobu. But he feels almost like the beast bosses in that he has a lot of actual poise and he can cover the arena very quickly. But you still stand there and block a combo like you would a like a more traditional duel fight. Right. And also he has like different moves depending on what part of the fight you're in. Specifically, when you scare Onikage and he rears up and then goes back down, Yobu in the first half will not do anything but the second one he'll slam his yari at you which yeah. definitely is a big killer unfortunately it's like he's getting used to the firecrackers he's like that guy's gonna use the firecrackers and then onikage's gonna rear back and then i'm gonna bring this thing down on his head mm-hmm. i'm glad you brought up the second half of the fight because he also just adds the one move in the he adds the several moves in the second half but my favorite is just the one where onikage leaps like six feet into the air yep. and just comes down to you and does it two or sometimes three times in a row. Yep. Horses can do that. Got, I mean, wait, to be hold fair, on. Tell me what? Yeah, they can, they can do that. Um, a lot of modern riding moves today is based off of stuff that was used in the cavalry mm. all, all over the world, really. Interesting. So I know he can jump very well, but they can jump straight up like that. Yeah. That's yeah. We call that the Capri. We, we call that the Capriole. <laughs> the Capriole. That is terrifying. It is a. It's one of the highest levels of education uh, for a horse. You can you can actually look up videos of the Spanish riding school in Vienna, and you'll be able to see stuff like that. Oh my god! Good thing you got the horse expert here on fucking on your podcast. Yeah. Good lord! Oh my gosh! Two for Jesus one. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I like how Yobu's helmet has the broken horn on it. Mm-hmm. That's which great. is. The broken piece is what you get as a shinobi prosthetic, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. It's the spear. It's the part of the spear. Um, I will. I would like to read just because this is very concise. The what it says in the guide here. It says, uh, "Gyobu the demon was once an infamous bandit chief feared throughout the land, but after defeat at Ishin's hands, his strength left such an impression that he was taken in as warrior of Ashina." Although Gyobu's famed horn spear was broken during the rebellion, mm-hmm. Ishin entrusted him with the cross-shaped spear of G- General Shuzen Tamura, a weapon he now wields with unmatched ferocity. Serving as Lord Genichiro's most trusted retainer, Gyobu currently guards the gates of Ashina atop his imposing armored steed. So it was broken during the rebellion. Okay, and so it, it was his old spear. So I wonder if the crest actually, the horn, the uh, the crest on his helmet is literally his old spear. I'm not sure. I I think that, I just think it's interesting that like a lot of Ashina's older generals and I don't want to say staff, that's a funny word, to, <laughs> military, military personnel has a lot of like their old shit. Mm-hmm. But like it, like at the time, I just think it's funny because it was like a, it was such like a, I don't want to say one man coup because it obviously wasn't. It's just basically like the fact that they all had armor sets and shit mean, means that they probably buckled down and were like, oh shit, this is legit. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, because uh, Ishin has an amazing set of armor in the first, in the in the intro cinematic. It's oh, very yeah, pretty. It's, it's very cool. pretty. It's Talk very pretty. That. It's very similar to what Genichiro has, but it has uh, silver, uh, silver accoutrements, whereas uh, Genichiro has like gold accoutrements. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Gyobu. It's one of those fights that I hated until I figured it out. And then 
I was like, oh, I look forward to it every time. He was the first boss I definitely had the easiest time figuring out. Yeah. Um, I really, I really liked him a lot. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I, I do like his boss fight. I think it's a great first boss, like big boss. Yes, definitely. He's the first major boss that uh, gives you a, um, I mean, you can go fight Lady Butterfly first if you want, but uh, he's the first boss that gives you a damage boost. And he's big because he gives you a damage boost and he gives you the thing that lets you modify the prosthetics. The barrel. Um, I also really think he has the perfect boss arena. Yeah. Talk I about think that. there's I think there's just plenty of space, um, but not too much space where it's overwhelming. I think it's got plenty of hazards, like good hazards without being overwhelming. I just think it's probably one of the more perfect boss arenas I've ever fought in. Mm. Yeah, because there are there are fires, but they're little fires. They're not yeah, just, just aesthetic. Not, it's they not boring. It's also yeah. not boring. It's just like Yeah, like, and I good think, storytelling. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we also, it's the first time we get to see a Shinobi execution mm-hmm. and we get this wonderful, unique death animation. Uh, first off, Wolf apologizes to him uh, as he takes him off of the horse. And then we hear Gyobu apologize to Genichiro. Yeah. And that's, that's sad because I'm sure a lot of the troops have issues believing in the cause anymore because they've probably gotten their ass beat several times and. I'm sure they're disheartened and hungry and want to go home and mm-hmm. everything like that. But Gyobu is such like a defender and you hear them talking about Gyobu like, oh my God, Gyobu the demon. Mm-hmm. That guy's crazy. We're never going to lose as long as that dude is alive. So you basically took out one of like Ashina's last hopes, which is really, really sad to think about. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, you are bit by bit. Uh, laying Ashina to rest because like like you said it's kind of these rungs like well as long as Gyobu is here nothing will yeah. conquer Ashina mm-hmm. and then you're like well as long as Genichiro is here nothing will conquer well as long as Ishin and just like piece by piece you're like I'm sorry yeah you're picking them apart essentially it's great ascending and killing more godlike combatants so yeah I guess that's it yeah any anything else you want to say about Gyobu Beyond beyond enemy type? I don't think so. Just because we had like a nice little chat about him in the last episode. So mm-hmm. you guys should so you guys should go watch that episode mm. <laughs> before you go watch this episode. <laughs> so I think I mean I think he's great as a character and he's got there's a lot to it's a lot of hype to his fight too. So I, I thought I again I think he's a great he's a great boss. He's not too hard, but not too easy. So mm-hmm. he's great. Yeah, he is pretty great. And I think that all three of the uh, prosthetics, oh, not the Shuriken, but mm-hmm. the three other prosthetics that you can have right now, the flame vent, the axe, and the firecrackers, I think they all have uses against him. Because um, he's hard to stagger, but the axe actually does a big chunk of that stagger. Uh, the firecrackers obviously just stagger him. You can use them like every 15 seconds to spook Oniwa or uh, Onikage. Um, and then the flame vent, I think it takes two spurts, but like if you get him in the burning animation, it'll interrupt him running away. So like you can use that to keep him there instead of uh, 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 running for a while. I didn't even know that because I've never used that. Yeah, I love it. Uh, my favorite. So the way I f- always fight him is um, with uh, my favorite thing is to have living force. Um, so obviously it's late game or you can't use it the first time really. But when I do him in like the gauntlets of strength or something, my favorite thing is you run up to him and do one running sword slash 
and then immediately do the flame vent and coat your blade and you can get enough hits in to trigger the fire and he won't run away after the initial rear up. Uh, and instead he'll go into combos, which you can start, you know, doing little hits. And if you like play aggressively enough and get the the proper deflections, you can just like keep him from running away for a whole health bar. Damn, you're the man now, dog. Holy shit. I didn't even know that. He almost like presents himself to you at the beginning. He's like, here, you get a few shots like while I rear up and announce yeah. myself. He tells you to like to hurry up and die if you do that, though. He calls you a brat. <laughs> He says, hurry up and die, brat. I'm like, <laughs> your life bar is so Bro, long. I'm just I here. To, like, oh, my gosh. Come on. <laughs> OK, so he's great. We are sorry that we have to kill him, uh, but we do have to move on. OK, so this is awesome. Uh, I think that's good for now. We talked about everything on my list and added a little bit. Uh, is there anything else about Ashina Outskirts you want to do before we call it a night? Is that? Oh, God. Essentially, that one little temple that just says our swords and uh, spears did nothing. And you're like, hmm, I should probably not go investigate that. The one little <laughs> temple posting. I instantly was like, oh, my God, I got to go fight that. And, you know, obviously got my ass kicked by the headless. I think that's funny how you can go essentially go to Sempo early. Oh, yeah. OK, awesome. Yeah, we'll have to talk about the headless soon, too. I guess you can find one in Ashina outskirts. Hey, you're super cool. Thanks for uh, uh, being excited about doing this. Wow, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, awesome. Okay, so let's do uh, a sign-off. I never think of anything. Oh, let's do one of... what? What's your favorite Gyobu quote? My roommate's not asleep yet. So, so I can say... Okay. I can, I can say it really loudly. My name is As I live and move, past these castle gates. Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus. Oh, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus, Doctor Sayus. What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're all so lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas.